invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 27 will be our text for this morning as we continue to walk through portions of the book of Genesis we are now in the life of Isaac and in the life of Jacob uh, in his book 10 questions to diagnose your spiritual health Donald Whitney asks a couple of questions two of those the first is he's asking am I as a follower of Jesus beginning to grieve more and more over my sin? Am I grieving more over my sin? Second thing he asks is, or another thing he asks is, am I growing quicker to forgive? Those are great metrics. Am I quick to forgive? Am I grieving over my sin? As we return this morning to the life of Isaac and Rebekah, to the lives of Jacob and Esau, beneath the story we're reading is a story that lies deeper, a story of confession, of repentance, and a forgiveness that leads to life. And this understory is for us a narrative which we inhabit day in and day out. Are we becoming a people more ready to admit our faults? Are we willing to confess our sins? Are we growing into a people eager, quicker to forgive? Wherever we find ourselves in that story, take heart. For God is faithful. God is just. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. We grow confidence as we hold fast to God's promises in Jesus Christ. Will you join me with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you've given us yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the living Word. As we turn our attention now to the Word of God here, would you bless us? Would you open our eyes to see Jesus more clearly? Open our ears to receive His Word and conform our hearts more into His image that we might grow in his glory from one degree of glory to the next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 27 verse 1 begins this way. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. Did you catch the ominous opening to that story? Did you see how it was ominous? How is Isaac described? It says his, Im, his eyes were dim. So that he could not see. His eyes were dim, so he couldn't see. His father, Abraham, he had eyes that would behold his son all of his days through the eyes of faith. Abraham was willing to give his only son back to God on Mount Moriah. The eyes are the instrument of judgment, the instrument of discernment. Abraham had eyes that were sharp. His son, now in his old age, however, He's become blind. He lacks discernment. He fails to trust. Verse 2. He said, Behold, this is Isaac, Behold, I am old. I do not know the days of my, the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. He's a man's man, Isaac is, right? The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Isaac's stomach shapes his desires. His stomach motivates or moves his actions, and he loves Esau in no small measure because of the food that Esau provides. So Isaac curries the favor of his oldest son. As he believes his death is drawing near, Isaac plans to bless the elder son to pass on 
the promises given to Abraham and then to Isaac, and now he wants to pass them on to Esau, as any son in that day would do to their eldest son. But there's one problem. Earlier, God had told while Rebekah was pregnant, earlier God had told them, Rebekah, and certainly Isaac would have known about it, God told her that the older son would serve the younger, that God's promises would then be fulfilled or would go through Jacob, the younger, and not Esau, the older. That is the lore of their family. Esau would know it. Jacob would know it. Isaac and Rebekah would know it. And yet, what do we have Isaac doing here? Seeking to bless Esau. So, that's the premise for understanding this interaction between Jacob and Rebekah, between Isaac and his sons, okay? Isaac's sight, remember, has grown dim. Like any proud papa, he loved Esau. And though he certainly would have known God's promise to exalt Jacob, to fulfill his promises through Jacob, Isaac still seeks to bless Esau. Verse 5. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. So we enter Rebekah. Who is Rebekah? She's the protector of the seed line. The covenant promises of God are protecting a seed. Remember the offspring of Eve who would one day crush the head of the serpent or the offspring of the serpent? So the covenant promises are given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to be given to Jacob. And Rebekah enters the scene as a protector of the seed line. Verse 8, Rebekah speaks, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare them for, from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may, be, so that he may bless you before he dies. Rebekah is the protector of the seed line, and now Rebekah enters as the deceiver of the tyrant. It's a family trait. Abraham deceived a tyrant twofold. Isaac deceived a tyrant, and now Rebekah follows suit. Here's what we mean. Abraham, remember when he encountered Pharaoh, and later when he encountered Abimelech, introduced Sarah, his wife, as his sister. Deceiving the tyrant, both cases. A few chapters from where we're back from where we're at now, Isaac used the same tactic. When he approached another Abimelech, he had a wife, Rebekah, but he introduced her as his sister as well. It's the same tactic. It was to deceive a tyrant, one who would seek to thwart God's promises and his plans. So if you remember those stories, that's what's happening there. Deception is used to thwart tyrants. Now, our text doesn't have a Pharaoh or an Abimelech, but our text portrays Isaac as a tyrant. What we mean by that is he is acting as an enemy of God's promises. Isaac is blind. He knows that Jacob is to be blessed, but he ignores God's promise. He endeavors to bless Esau instead in opposition to God's word and God's promise. Now, the text isn't framing Isaac as a harsh ruler, an outright despiser of God, but the text is framing Isaac as one who is threatening the seed line. He is rejecting Jacob as the offspring who will then pass on the offspring to the offspring who will eventually lead to Jesus Christ. Isaac is rejecting that way of God and his promise. Jacob 
the promised heir of the covenant promises is threatened by Isaac. Not only is he the promised heir, but remember from last week that Jacob actually has the birthright which Esau sold to him for a pot of stew. Rebecca, she enters. She is a defender, a protector of God's promises of the seed line through whom God's redemption will be accomplished. Now, deceit isn't God's normative instrument to bring about justice, but when it comes to thwarting enemies of God, when it comes to thwarting tyrants, God's saints often employ deceit. So, Rebekah lays out her plan, and Jacob hears the plan, and he sees a couple of flaws. And so, he speaks up in verse 11. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. So how is Rebekah going to resolve these issues with the plan? Jacob brings up some very poignant flaws. So verse 14, he obeys. Verse 14, so Jacob went and took them and brought them, the goats, to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Isn't this interesting, this whole meal scenario? Why is it such a big deal about this meal? Isaac just wants to bless his kid. Why not just say it? Bless him. What's the deal with this meal? Why is it such a big deal? Why this elaborate meal? What the scriptures are portraying for us is a sacrificial meal, a substitutionary meal. It's an image of what renewing covenant with God looks like because that's what Isaac is hoping to do. He's hoping to pass on those covenant promises to his son. He's seeking to renew this covenant between God and his family, between God and his people. And in such renewal service, the sacrifice must be offered. And then a meal would be shared as the promises or the word is spoken to God's people. Rebecca here is again following in the footsteps of Abraham. She is preparing her son as a kind of sacrifice. In fact, she, both sons, actually. She's preparing both sons. How many goats, how many kids does she ask for? She asks for two, representing her two sons as these sacrificial goats, an animal in their place. She has both sons in mind, as we would see later in this chapter. She asks, why should I lose both boys in one day? When as she's thinking of Isaac, or as she's thinking of Jacob, she's also thinking of Esau, how to spare him as well. Remember that also that the skins of one of the animals, the sacrificial animals, is put on the, the hands and the neck. He's clothed in the sacrifice. It's like Adam and Eve were in the garden, clothed with the sacrificial animals. He smells like he is clothed in Esau's clothed. Jacob comes to his father as Esau. He represents both sons. Rebekah and Isaac are seeking 
a covenant renewal ceremony and their sons are to receive the blessing. But first, before Rebecca offers any of her sons, she offers herself. Look, remember Isaac or Jacob's problem is, well, what if, what if we find out about this and I get cursed instead of blessed? What she means, what if I get cursed instead of blessed? So what happens is Rebecca says in verse 13, his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. She functions. She's a willing sacrifice, a substitute. Should the curse fall on her son Jacob, she said she will take it upon herself. So Rebecca's laid out the plan, and, and Jacob is following this plan. The success of this plan will preserve God's covenant promises that were given to Abraham and then given to Isaac. Those same promises that belong and ought to be given to Jacob are seen as one of covenant renewal. The passing on of promises, of blessing, and of curses. But the problem again is what? Isaac is failing to heed God's word, while the older son Esau is unfit to inherit them. God promised while the older son Esau, uh, God promised that both the father and the son would seek to go their own way. To renew covenant, animals must be sacrificed substitutes for the sons, and a meal must be enjoyed. And though this is our scene, what's happening in this scene is a, a meal in the form of a covenant renewal. Verse 18 of our chapter, So Jacob went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Ah, the game of deception is on. Isaac questions, who are you? And Jacob answers, bald-faced lie, I am your son, Esau, verse 20. Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. A second test from Isaac to his son, and Jacob deceives once again, verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. The third test is offered, and the third deceit is followed by one last chance for truth. In verse 24, Isaac says, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob answered, I am. Isaac is blind. Isaac lacks judgment, discernment. He's turned a blind eye to God's word and his promise regarding his sons for years now. Turned a blind eye to God's blessing to his son. Now he turns a deaf ear to the truth as well. What he hears, he understands to be a deception, but he will not even trust that which he hears. What Isaac asks is if, if the son present, and the son in that same room as he is in, is this my eldest son, the son who, who Isaac wants to bless, and Jacob, when he confesses, I am, he is taking the place, substituting himself for Esau. Jacob is God's chosen to receive God's blessing. Jacob has Esau's birthright, the birthright which Esau despised, says the scripture. But Isaac, and Isaac hears the truth, but yet he rejects what his ears receive. He intends still to bless Esau. 
Jacob is like Israel later in life, right? Having eyes, but they don't see. Having ears, but they don't hear. The scene is framed also like Jesus' temptation in the wilderness where Jesus is tested time and again. Isaac tests Jacob here time and again, time and again. But the Son of God is not thwarted. Rather, it is the tempter who is thwarted. So Jacob is God's chosen son whom Isaac rejects. The sequence here is a fourfold questioning. And Isaac rejects what he hears. It makes me wonder, though, is the way that the story is being told here, Isaac knows something is afoot, something is wrong. And I begin to wonder a little bit if, if he's, something's hitting him. He's recognizing that I've been doing something wrong here. I think that this is the start of Isaac moving towards repentance. He's caught as he seeks to bless his eldest son. Verse 26 Then his father Isaac said to Jacob, Come near and kiss me, my son. So Jacob came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Isaac is blessing Jacob here. And you recognize parts of that blessing come from the blessing given to Abraham. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. As our service, which is a covenant renewal service, we eat together in God's presence and we are sent out with a blessing. So that's the intent here, that Isaac would, would give a blessing to his son and he would be sent out after this meal in the peace of his blessing. If we were to read God's, uh, Isaac's blessing to his son, we'd see it's, it's framed in couplets emphasizing each line. The smell of my son is the, the smell of the field. He's a new Adam, as it were. Uh, may God give you the dew of heaven. There's fatness of the earth, abundance in food. May the earth serve you as well. Peoples and nations will serve you, my son. Your brothers will serve you. But remember what the promise to Rebekah was? The older will serve the younger. Final blessing is those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. It's the beginning of God's covenant promises to Abraham, which was given then to Noah and magnified in the life of Abraham, who then passed on those covenant blessings to Isaac. He does seem to hold back here, Isaac does, the blessing of a land and a great name, but we'll see that in the next chapter, that covenant promise is passed on. So, step back just for a minute here. Look at the big picture of the story. God had promised in the womb that Jacob would be the heir of the covenant promises, that Esau would serve the younger who was Jacob. Throughout their days, Esau had proven himself unworthy of the elder role, the, the role of the elder son. He sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. He wasn't deceived into selling it, as, his, as he claimed later in, life, later in the, the lines here. Isaac was rejecting God's word. He rejected Jacob as the promised heir. 
He became an unrepentant tyrant against God's covenant promises. Now, Rebekah and Jacob deceive Isaac in the same way that God's people deceive other tyrants. Rebekah is a willing sacrifice, preparing her sons to be living sacrifices. Now, so this is the story before us, a story of sin that's played out in, in family after family throughout the world. And we do well to see our own faults in these characters and to learn from that. Do we not at times also despise our birthright? It's easy to point to Esau and say, for a bowl of stew, you sold your birthright? We've been delivered from sin. We've been adopted into God's family, sons and daughters of the living Christ. And yet how cheaply we give ourselves over to sin. How cheaply we fear rejection and we stay silent when we should speak. How often we fail to enter hard places out of fear. See, we are born of Christ. We belong to Him, and yet how often do we despise our birthright? And do we not at times reject God's Word and His way? I mean, every sin at its root has some rejection of God's Word, a disbelief in His promise. We know what it is to stubbornly go our own way, to hide from the truth as we don't examine ourselves and our sin. So we ask the question, are we growing more and more to grieve over our sin? And the evidence of that would be, are we more and more eager? Are we quicker to forgive? I think we start to see Isaac becoming more self-aware of his failures as this story unfolds. And now the story comes to a head here, doesn't it? Because you know that Esau's coming home. Verse uh, 30 here in our passage. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from his presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Divine providence removes Jacob from the scene before Esau enters. Now, I'm a bit sympathetic to Esau. He's the oldest son. He should receive the blessing. He's worked hard for it, but has he deserved this? Is it to be his blessing? Verse 33, Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Scriptures tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fact that Isaac is trembling here certainly has to do with anger. Certainly he fears Esau's wrath. Certainly he feels betrayed. Yet is not there in this trembling also a positive, a good sign that Isaac begins recognizing that the blessing has been given to the rightful heir. That even in spite of his own intentions, God's will be done. He resigns himself to God's will being done in spite of his own rebellion. Verse 34, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Is there not more for me? Esau, in unrelenting, unrepentant anguish, he cries out and he blames his younger brother. He begs his father for a blessing. 
As with last week's story, we, we ask, is Esau indeed blameless in this? Did Jacob just come and take all of these blessings? Well, the blessings were not intended to him for him. He was not an innocent victim here of deceit from Jacob, absolutely. But remember, it, it was Jacob. He was described, as our text says, a quiet man. But remember what Pastor Dave said quiet is? It's a term for blameless. The scriptures portray Jacob as the blameless one here. What he's done is he's deceived a tyrant in order that God's word would be fulfilled. Whereas Esau, how was he described? He despised his birthright. He didn't care about the inheritance of that. He didn't care about the promises of God to the eldest son. He despised, it says, his birthright. Esau is also the one who married Hittite women made life miserable for Jacob and for Rebekah. It is Esau who refuses here to repent of rejecting God's promise for Jacob to rule. And instead, what does Esau do? Verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with uh, which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then, then I will kill my brother. Enter again, Rebecca. She comes as a substitute. She comes to save the seed line once again, verse 42. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebecca. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise. And the rest of that story will have to come on another day. For now, it is enough for us to see that the faithfulness of God is exhibited through the faithfulness of his people. Rebecca and Jacob have sought to be faithful in protecting the seed line through which the promises of God come. But God is, God's faithfulness is also shown through the rebellion of those who even reject his name and his word. God is, ever, God is and ever will be faithful to his covenant people through his covenant promises. I think that's the thing we're supposed to see from this narrative is that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His promises will find their yes and their amen, ultimately, in Jesus Christ, which means the seed line has to be protected from Eve until the coming of his seed line, or his seed, who is his only son, Jesus Christ. So the story here, in many ways, portrays for us everyday realities, things we experience day in, and day out, the effects of sin which we ourselves grieve over. I mean, this family is a mess. And many of us know all too well the pain of broken family. Many of us know the pain of generational sin. Many of us have regret for the hurt that we've caused, for the the, we were pained with grief as we remember our betrayal of loved ones, our ungodly deceit of loved ones, how putting our desires above the good of others has damaged those people whom we love. And yet there it is, undergirding this story, undergirding, undergirding our stories, is that God's will be done. Nothing we can do, nothing others can do will thwart the promises and the plans of God. 
because we have one who, like Rebecca, stood in the way of impending wrath on our behalf. As she was willing to take on the curse for her son, should that come about, so Jesus Christ was not only willing to take on the curse, but he does take on the curse on our behalf. See, he became the substitute for us. He was the innocent lamb slaughtered for our guilt. The world may feel like it's crashing in on us. Our own failures may weigh us down. Our sin so heavy that we cannot lift our head. And yet undergirding all of our days is this promise that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that gives us hope. As we persevere in Christ, we must persevere in Christ. For he only is our surety. He only is our hope and our lasting confidence. In Christ, God's will be done in our lives, throughout the world, for all of time, and through eternity. Now we'll see in the life of Jacob as we continue to unfold it, unpack it, that he and his mom are vindicated for their faithfulness in this story. Their faithfulness to God, to his word, and to his promises. Because we see God's promise hold true. The seed line is preserved, holding fast still, to the word which promises Christ is yet to come. And the other thing that we're going to see, I believe, is we see Isaac repent. We see that he accepts his own faults and his own failures. He's, he begins to accept more and more God's promise. As he has blessed Jacob now, Jacob's to bless the world. And eventually, yes, after many, many years of plotting and seething, we'll find Esau again but not turning to his brother in anger and wrath looking to kill, but turns to his brother in kinship and in love. For Israel, the, the, the faces and the names in this story, they held out for those people in Israel a hope that God's word is true, that his promises would never fail, that his steadfast love does endure forever. So the Israelites would hide themselves in a, a Jacob and a Rebekah, remaining faithful against the tyrants of their day, trusting God's word. They also found refuge in Isaac, whom the scriptures confirm in blessing Jacob that Isaac even acted in faith in spite of his sin. Even they would find themselves hidden in Esau, who becomes the type of patron saint for shirkers and slackers. Sinners become saints. For us, we see those names and faces fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We hide ourselves in him who opens up the eyes of the blind so that we might see, so that we might become ever quicker to grieve over our sin, to see our faults and our errors, that we might become quicker to forgive as we have been forgiven an infinite amount of sin. We hide ourselves in Christ, our substitute, our sacrifice, growing ever quicker to forgive for all that we've been forgiven. In Christ, God's kingdom come. In Christ, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. And we pray now that we would be blessed by, the, by, help, <clears throat> by your grace conforming us into the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have preserved your promises and your word is true. That all your promises find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. We hide ourselves in him now as we seek your face daily. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.